Okay, well, welcome to another episode of The Dinner Table. Um, we are going to be trying a different format this time. I think I was a little too ambitious the last several times. Again, uh, as we said, we, we're fleshing this out. We're trying to make it relevant. We're trying to make it poignant. We're trying to make it entertaining for you. Um, again, uh, it's just me, Joe Sheehan, your faithful and wonderful host. And I kid. Um, it sounds very full of myself. Wonderful. What am I talking about there? But anyways, um, I just wanted to go ahead and uh, move down this road. And we, you know, it's been a while since I have uh, been on um, the show. We were wrapping up school, uh, doing a lot of things. I've had a lot of uh, interesting moments that have happened uh, over the last probably month and a half since we did the show. Uh, that's why I say we're restarting the uh, the dinner table. We want to restart it. We want to get it going again. Um, because, one, I got a little discouraged. Uh, I saw that not a lot of people were listening to the podcast. But then when I put it on, uh, when I started looking at it, I saw, hey, you guys are still coming and listening. And I appreciate that so much. Um also, too, uh, while I took my break, I w- uh, had a mild um, angina attack, um, which kind of sidelined me for a while, um, got me really scared about my, um, my health, um, got me really scared about a lot of different things, so I've been trying to take care of that, trying to figure out ways of reducing stress and all of that. Um, and uh, in, as a result, I now find that I'm going to have a lot more time uh, that I can dedicate to this uh, podcast and to making this podcast a lot better, making it uh, more appealing to uh, broader audiences. Um, do I still want to utilize uh, this podcast in order to um, increase uh, understanding, in order to uh, help people, um, you know, in order to help people, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, in order to help people understand the Constitution, understand um, the wonderful, amazing um aspect of what it means to be a constitutional republic, to understand um, what it means to be um, living in this country and under the protection of the Constitution. Uh, Yeah, I do. I still want to have the ability, but I want to talk about things that are concerning you. I want to tie it into things that are uh, interesting to you. I realize that sometimes you don't want to go onto a podcast and go to school, that um, that's not why uh, you are interested in uh, politics. You want things that are poignant. You want things that are timely. You want things that are... So we're going to talk about uh, the daily. Um, I'm going to try to make this daily, especially during the summer. This will be a daily podcast where we're talking about the day's issues. Um, But what we're going to talk about... And yeah, again, sometimes we might talk about something that happened a while back. Um, But it's it's in the news. It's it's making people... um, 
talk. It's making people, uh, and so we're going to have an opinion on that. So again, uh, I really appreciate you guys contacting or listening um, this this podcast. Um, we are constantly improving, constantly working on ways of making this better for you, and that's what we're going to do. So looking into um, the week's events, looking into um, different things that have happened, um, some of the stuff that we want to look at and discuss on here um, is going to be, you know, things like Trump's tariffs on Mexico, um, Mueller's press conference um, just the other day, uh, coming economic issues versus Trump's success, uh, impeachment. Uh, that seems to be the word of the day, uh, especially on the lips of all Republican or not Republicans, excuse me, Democrats. Um, also, we want to look at the Electoral College and electors. We also want to look at the abortion bills that are um, being um, passed and this issue of um, the viability of the fetus. And, when, and, and we've kind of talked about this before in previous podcasts. But um, again, this is the issue. You know, this is this is uh, where our country is headed. This is the road that our country is going down. Um, we have uh, co- corporations threatening to pull out of states because they uh, decide that they want to protect the lives of the unborn child. And so, where where is this? Where what does this? What does that mean for our country? You know, um, we we can talk about viability of the fetus. We can talk about uh, is a clump of cells a human life? Is it a potential human life? Um, is it protected uh, under the Constitution? All those types of things. But really what we want to look at and what we want to examine uh, in this is this, what does it mean for America? What do these bills mean for America? What is, what's going on for America? And so that's what we want to do. We want to look at that. We want to see, okay, is this something that we seriously need to examine because what road are we going down are we heading towards um another civil war you know are we headed is is the the issue of life once again so palatable in this country that um that we want to go to arms over it and so again that's something that we're going to take a look at for sure but the first thing I want to talk to you guys about is the news story. Um, a cybersecurity uh, organization, a governing organization, an association, as it were. Uh, and we all know cybersecurity is, at least I hope you know, cybersecurity is the forefront of the war on terror. It is, I mean, for crying out loud, we just had a two-year investigation into Russia's uh, tampering into our election. What was the primary um issue there cybersecurity. you know um they hacked the dnc they hacked the hillary campaign they used it to you know shame the dnc and shame the hillary campaign um and so let's let's kind of talk about this all right and speaking of hillary the reason why we're talking about this cybersecurity is they're going to have a conference this next year they're going to have a big conference for all their association members and the keynote speaker for this conference is wait for it hillary clinton yeah, baby, that's the way I like my irony. I love the fact that they chose Hillary Clinton to re- to be the keynote speaker at this conference. I mean, the queen of the you know bleach bit uh, server, the queen of being hacked by China. 
uh, on her personal server, the queen of destroying 30,000 emails, the queen of, of destroying uh, I, iPhones when she's under investigation, and now she's going to be the keynote speaker about the importance of cybersecurity. I mean, if that's not irony, if that is not your cup of tea when it comes to ironic jokes, uh, you need to think, rethink irony. All right, maybe you need to you know, go listen to um, Alanis Morissette's isn't it ironic and get that definition because that's not irony that's just happenstance but i i mean this is if anything what this demonstrates to me uh is this organization's complete obtuseness when it comes to the issues surrounding hillary clinton i mean my god this woman is I mean, she is so inept, and and yet she was the hero of the left, and everybody's, I mean, she's still out there talking about how sexism defeated her. What? What? You won the popular vote. How can you talk about sexism defeated you? No, your campaign lost because you had a horrible electoral strategy. You had a horrible electoral strategy. It wasn't the help of the Russians. That was an excuse. That was an excuse to that y'all had been working on since the primaries in order to destroy Donald Trump because y'all knew that Donald Trump would be the candidate. And anyways, so we, we'll talk about that on another issue. But Hillary Clinton speaking on cybersecurity is the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate uh, ironic joke. And uh, I mean... Reading the article, I had to check to make sure that it wasn't the Onion or the Babylon Bee. I mean, I really did. I had to check it. I had to see. This has got to be satire. This has got to be something. Nope. Totally serious. Sometimes, guys, life is funnier than art. And this is one of those examples. A woman who destroyed evidence in her investigation, talk about obstruction, yet got off scot-free, is now going to be the keynote speaker about cybersecurity. Let that one sink in. I mean, that's that's hilarious. That is absolutely, absolutely hilarious. I, I'm just, I'm chuckling. I'm chuckling so much. All right, well, um, next thing we want to talk about here is um, Trump's t- new tariffs on Mexico. He's putting a 5% tariff on Mexican goods uh, at the same exact time. Now, let's not forget this. This is at the same exact time he's trying to get the new NAFTA or the new trade agreement between Canada and Mexico. Uh, I think it's called USMAC or something like that. He's trying to get that through the House. Well, guess what? Now he's putting a 5% uh, tariff on Mexico. Let's really examine this whole idea. Um, There are... Wonderful, wonderful conservative um, podcasters and and talk show hosts who hate the fact that Trump is using protectionist um, policies in order to help American economic economic growth. Um, When you are a steel worker who has been out of a job for the last 20 years or out of the job or you live in a what used to be a steel town and U.S. Steel announces just this week that it's going to invest $1.4, $1.6 billion in 
revamping its factories to restart U.S. steel production. I don't think you really care if there is a 25% tariff on Chinese steel. Okay, uh, You've got work, and you're going to be able to take care of your family, and your town is going to be revitalized. And that means you know Costco and Amazon and all that are going to start coming your way, and you're going to see prosperity once again. Uh, when the st steel mills were going in uh, Pennsylvania, you know, that was a sign of strong economic growth in America. Yes, goods are going to be more expensive, okay? Goods are going to be more expensive from other countries. But, are, but is America getting an, is America's benefit for free trade, is America's benefit is our economy actually benefiting from our relationships with these countries? And I would argue that in China, no. We are not benefiting from our relationship from China. If anything, China is benefiting more from that relationship. And I think President Trump, and I'm a conservative, guys. I love free trade. I think free trade is incredible. But when, you have, but when you're dealing with people who don't have... Who, well, I don't want to say don't have your best interest at heart because other countries aren't going to have your best interest at heart. But when you are in trade agreements with other countries and it's not equitable and the other side is constantly working against you, the other side is constantly working to steal your patents, to steal your, um, to hurt you economically. Because another thing that I think a lot of these um conservative talk show hosts don't understand is I think they think thing, they, they see things through the prism of Western uh, philosophy, which is totally understandable. Um, they're Western people. They're, they think Western. But we, we have to understand that China doesn't think like a Westerner. China thinks like someone from the East. And uh, the Chinese were the ones who invented the torture of uh, death by a thousand cuts. All right. Um, and uh, also water torture, you know, a small drip on your forehead. Well, these are not, you know, these American philosophy is very much, you know, hard charging, moving forward, you know, um, examine the battlefield and, you know, maneuver. That is Western philosophy. Eastern philosophy is examine the battlefield and see how I can defeat my enemy without ever making a move, without ever having to put my troops into harm's way. And if China can weaken the global superpower that is a representative republic built on the principle of life, liberty, and private property, which is totally anathema to the communist way of life, if they can defeat us without ever having to fire a shot, then they're going to do that. And so how do they do that? Well, they know that capitalism is the way that they can improve their economy. As uh, you know, that was that, you know, Russia in the Soviet Union had embraced capitalism way too late. Uh, they were already bankrupt. Uh, Perestroika and Glasnost um, were too late, too little. Uh, Gorbachev tried, but it was just too little, too late. Um, China is a little bit smarter. They, you know, whereas the United States and in our foreign policy, we play chess. They play Go. And what is Go about? Well, Go is not about, Go is about capturing territory 
and surrounding your opponent and keeping him from being able to move. Whereas chess is about dominating your opponent through strategy, thinking five moves ahead and ultimately capturing an end goal. Or, and um, so Go and, and chess are two philosophically opposed uh, games that, that really give you an idea of what it means to um, deal with military strategy, all those types of things. So when you look at China, you do not look at an honest broker. Okay, you can't see an honest broker because, again, it's not about honesty. It's about deception. Um, Michael Crichton, in his book, uh, Rising Sun, said it perfectly. Um, the Japanese philosophy, uh, business is deception. It's absolutely true. Now, that's Japanese. Well, what does that have to do with Chinese? Very simply, it's Eastern philosophy. All right, Eastern philosophy permeates both the Japanese and Chinese cultures. Now, are they two separate entities? Absolutely. They're two separate cultures, but Eastern philosophy is still there. They're still highly influenced by Eastern philosophical writers, uh, Buddhism. They're hugely, uh, Chinese are influenced by Confucius. Well, Confucius is the equivalent of my motto, which is the writer of the, the five rings. All right, they're almost the same. Both use Sun Tzu as uh, a methodology. It's the art of war, okay? Uh, so again, um, this idea of uh, deception is huge in negotiations. So when we're dealing with the Chinese, we have to understand that that's part of it. So when we put tariffs on Chinese goods, does it mean that these cheap goods that we've come to rely on in our economy are going to be more expensive? Yes. Uh, does it mean that there's going to be less goods from China? Absolutely. But you know what it does mean for America? It means more American goods. And American goods are not inferior. All right. If anything, Chinese goods are even great and more inferior. If you've ever shopped in, at, at Walmart, uh, I highly recommend don't ever buy a pair of blue jeans from Walmart. I've bought several pair of blue, pairs of blue jeans from Walmart and only owned them like one day before they tore. Okay, um, but if I want to go buy Levi's, I know I'm going to have that pair of Levi's as long as I'm that size. You know, that pair of Levi's is going to last me forever. Um, Dickies, which is made here in Fort Worth, is incredibly durable. Uh, you have Duluth Trading Company, incredibly durable. Is it a little more expensive? Sure, but that's because we pay our we don't pay our employees, you know, two dollars a day, or we don't pay them two dollars an hour. You know, we pay our, and so there's a, there's a, there's a trade-off in cost. All right. And that's basic market economics. So again, um, we, yes, we've become reliant on these, on these cheap goods, but at what cost to our society, at what cost to our economy, at what cost, because here's another thing too. understand this. Um, yeah, we're like, well, you know, our economy's changed. We're a service economy. We don't need these jobs. Um, that you know the steel mills well understand this yeah we do and we need we need the steel mills not just because uh the fact that we need cheaper steel or we need people to work but we need that work ethic back in this country we need the work ethic back in this country okay and you don't get that by having a service industry you don't get that by having um being able to make money be a lot easier 
what do you where do you get it well you you get it from having the hard jobs you get it from from idealizing uh, the hard worker the blue collar worker and so that's what we're that's what we're looking at okay is we have we have um Okay, so we have the uh, blue-collar worker that we need to, uh, to celebrate. And so, again, uh, when we are looking at this, this trade war and when we're looking at tariffs, so, again, I spent a lot of time talking about China. Um, when we look at tariffs, we have to understand that, yes, they're protectionist, but, but we've, had, we've had such a long r- timeline of presidents not willing to protect American businesses and protect American uh, intellectual property that now we're kind of in a situation where we have to use these tariffs. Now, transfer that to um, the tariffs on Mexico. Well, why are we doing the tariffs on Mexico? Because Mexico is not an honest broker in the issue of illegal immigration, Okay. Um, Mexico knows that it receives a large percentage of its GDP from donations or money sent from the United States to Mexico. All right. And Mexico is a socialist, um, you know, autocratic government uh, that is largely corrupt. Um, the, if you've ever spent any time in Mexico, you know this. You know that the, the Mexican government is incredibly corrupt. Um, it's, it's like the wild west. Um, you know, you don't know who to trust when you're down there. Um, I, in the, in the early two thousands, I had an opportunity to go to Creole, Mexico, which is in the Coppers Canyon area of Chihuahua, Mexico, the state of Chihuahua and, um, crossing the border was into Mexico, uh, for what we were trying to do was incredibly dangerous. All right. Uh, And the reason why was because we didn't know who to trust. We had to hide the presents that we we were taking Christmas presents to orphans. Okay, an orphanage is an orphanage that we supported. We were taking Christmas presents down to the orphanage. All right. We had to hide them in our van because if we had gotten stopped by the federales, by the army, by any one of them, the federales would have just stolen our uh, gifts for the kids um, the, the military could have taken us somewhere, killed us all, and then taken our presence. Um, and, and is that something that happens all the time in Mexico? Yes, it does. So that's what I'm saying. The Mexican government is hugely corrupt. Um, it's not getting any better. Um, as long, and, and, and one of the reasons why you know it's not getting better is when the Mexican rhetoric from the Mexican government is anti-American. When, when they finally get a pro-American willing to work with us, willing to help us, guys, understand this. We can help Mexico tremendously. We can help provide jobs in Mexico. We can help provide um, a better economy in Mexico. We can do all of those things through soft power if they would simply just help us by not allowing their people Help us to combat the cartels. Help us to combat um, the the influx of illegal immigrants. Guys, we have 80,000 people in detention centers all throughout the southern border right now just this year. And we're only, we're, we're, we're only six months into the year. 
We have 80,000 in detention. Guys, we have a small city in detention right now. That's not including all the people that we've let go because of failed immigration policy. So just know that that's what's going on. All right. And so Trump's tariffs, it's 5%. But that 5%, who's it going to hurt more? Us or them? It's really going to hurt them more, guys. And so understand that we have to use whatever means necessary to protect this nation and protect uh, the people of this nation. That's our primary objective. We are not, you know, this, this globalist idea of is, you know, global, globalization helps bring people out of poverty, but only when the country that is actively engaged in globalization is itself healthy. And right now, looking at the coming economic issues, we've got some problems on the horizon, okay? Um, we have people who are in so much debt right now, they are leaving the country because they know that if they leave the country, creditors can't come after them. Uh, the, the, the net worth of the average millennial right now is $8,000, Okay, yet the bulk of the student loan debt is millennial. And I think this is one of the reasons why Obama got rid of the privatization of student loans. And now all student loans are federally insured and all student loans are federal because he knew, I think he saw this coming. Um, and I think he knew that if we didn't make it federal, the federal government can absorb it. I mean, yes, they can. Um, we don't want to add more debt to our bill, but we can absorb it if, if these, if these young people begin to default more so than a private, more so than a private bank. Um, but I mean, this is, this, is, this is the coming bubble, guys. Uh, the student loan bubble is the coming bubble. I mean, it really is. Um, and, and I'm speaking as someone who has student loans, okay? Um, so that's one of the reasons why we want to make sure that we have a strong economy going in. Um, and we see signs that there is a strong economy. Um, one, we, we, we now have more jobs that are available than people that are actually actively looking for work. Um, the... The stock market was at six um, billion. Uh, I think that was what it was. Um, six billion in trade. Now it's at thirty something billion uh, in stocks. So we saw uh, the stock market. I mean, quintuplet uh, grow. So um, so Trump's Trump's policies, deregulation, lower taxes. These are all working. We have to maintain these policies to see long-term significant growth, okay? Um, We can't keep doing this to a marketplace and expect that people are not going to be able to grow, okay? We have to keep it going, all right? We We have to keep these policies in place. That's why we can't elect either a soft Republican or a, or a socialist because a socialist will come in and put us right back on the path that Obama had us on, which was, you know, anemic economic growth 
high regulation, uh, incredible debt. Obama, see, things that people don't understand. We have a $22 trillion debt, okay? When Obama took office, it was only $8 trillion. That is why Keynesian economics, spinning your way out of a recession, doesn't work. It's because now we, now our, our economy is struggling. In fact, America was actually listed as one of the least encouraging economies to invest in. Why? Because of our $22, $23 trillion debt. Okay? We lost our AAA rating. Okay? And we're going to continue to. However... Can we can we do something about the twenty two trillion dollar debt? Yeah, we can. Is is it going to be paid off in our lifetime? No, it's not. Um, even the conf- even if we confiscate all the wealth in the nation, it's not. We're going to have to have serious um, austerity measures um, to go after that. We're going to have to now that there's jobs out there. We're going to have to have a work requirement for welfare. We're going to have to ensure that people are working. Um, we can't just simply allow um, people who are not mentally handicapped, physically disabled, mentally disabled, to to live on the government dole. You just can't do that. And so we're going to have to make some tough decisions, and we're going to have to make some people feel very, very uncomfortable. Okay, but understand. Remember, when we go back to the founding of this country. This country was founded on a strong work ethic. It was founded on a strong um, idea that if you don't work, you don't eat. Okay, and somewhere along the way, we abandoned that, and and honestly, we abandoned it from greater political power. Uh, the progressive movement. If you look at the progressive movement, and yes, I'm talking about the progressive movement, not today's regressives, but the actual progressive movement. The progressive movement was built on the idea that in order to solve social ills, which there were incredible social ills at the time. I mean, there's families living on the street. Homelessness was rampant. We had children. We had orphan children running around causing mayhem. Um, We had children working in factories. We had um, uh, coal companies destroying families. We had factories destroying families. We uh, we had workers working 14-hour days, six days a week. Um, getting paid nothing. Um, we had horrible working conditions. All of those things were realities during the rise of the progressive movement. All right. And so was, was the gov- but what happened is you had at the same time in the progressive movement, you had the social gospel and the social gospel said, we've got to use the government because the government can get it done faster and we need to get it done now. Thus the rise of the crisis initiative. All right. Everything's a crisis. It's got to be fixed now. We got to use the coercive power of government to fix it. Okay. Would those um, issues been fixed naturally? I can't argue that they would have because they were allowed to happen as they were going on. Um, and if they had been allowed to happen, um, I think we could have actually seen a communist revolution in this country. Uh, because communism was on the rise at that time, at that very time period, at the beginning of the progressive era. So do I think that uh, the government was wise in pursuing these policies? Absolutely. But somewhere along the way, the government realized, and people in the government begin to realize, that if we do these policies, we can have power. We can control people. We can control, um, we can make promises, we get elected, we can make money, 
okay? Um, you know, people talk about Trump's tax returns. Well, I'm, you know, I, I, I agree with the cliche that's being circulated among conservative circles right now that I've got concerned about a billionaire who takes no money from the federal government, donates his paycheck, who actually took a pay cut to become a president, who was a billionaire before he was president. I'm not worried about him. I'm worried about the people who became congressmen and became millionaires after they were congresspeople. Okay, those are the people that we need to be seeing their tax returns. All right, understand that. That is more important. So again, um, looking at, you know, looking at these different things, looking at, you know, tariffs, looking at the coming economic issues versus Trump's success, we can't abandon. We've got it. Guys, honestly, we need about 100 years of strong economic government policy, you know, strong conservative economic policies. Um, where we're getting people off the streets, out, you know, off the dole, off the welfare rules that can that can actually be taken off. Because again, understand, I understand there are people who are disabled. There are people who are incapable of taking care of themselves that need our assistance. That's fine. I'm totally okay with that. I still believe that the government could set up an agency for half for half the money that we're giving. We're just handing people and get these people services through nonprofit organizations. I still believe that that's possible, but that may be something that we pursue 50, 60 years down the road of continued economic growth. And so these are the policies that we need to be pursuing. Now, Trump's, uh, Trump is always in the news. He's always out there. Uh, we have the Mueller uh, or Miller or whatever you pronounce his name, uh, press conference just a couple of days ago where he comes out and basically says, you know, um, if there was not a crime committed, we would have said so. Well, you did say so. The evidence says so, even if you didn't say so. Um, Miller comes out and creates this new precedent for prosecutors in that um, you're guilty until I say you're not guilty. That's essentially what he said, um, even though there are a lot of people on the left saying, that's not what he said. No, that's what he said. He said um, he went in looking for a crime instead of, looking to see if a crime didn't exist. Because remember, in this country, the standard is you're innocent until proven guilty. If the weight of the evidence is not there, if there's no evidence a crime existed, that doesn't mean a crime existed and you couldn't prove it, which is what Miller said. No, it means a crime didn't exist and the person is innocent. It doesn't mean you keep looking until you find a crime. That type of policy is unconstitutional. It's called a fishing expedition. And do prosecutors do it? Yes, they do. Is that how we, you know, put people like Al Capone in jail? Absolutely. We kept looking for a crime until we found one. Okay. Um, that's what happened to Martha Stewart. All right. They couldn't get her on securities fraud, so they got her on perjury. Okay. It's little things like that. All right. It's the same thing that happened to Bill Clinton. We couldn't prove the grand conspiracy that he obstructed justice in his wife's um, case. But what we could prove is that he lied to federal prosecutors about his affair with uh, Monica Lewinsky and on uh, other, 11 other, um, 10 other accounts. So, and he was impeached. And so I think that's what Miller was pretty much trying to show was, hey, I couldn't, I couldn't complete the coup on my end because I was restricted by Department of Justice regulations, which he knew going in, 
Okay. I mean, understand this. Those, those, they were there. He was the former uh, director of the FBI. He knows about those regulations. So he knew that he was not allowed to indict. So why was he there? He was there to find evidence to give to Congress so that they can impeach the president. He found none. So now the new claim is obstruction. Well, he, tr if there's no crime committed, there can't be obstruction. And making comments, he never, he never, Trump never um, claimed executive privilege. He cooperated fully. The only thing that he did was talk bad in the in the in the arena of public opinion about the investigation. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, that's not obstruction. Okay, there's no crime. So again, now what does Mueller do? Well, I couldn't do it, so now I'm giving it over to Congress, hiding behind the Constitution. Hiding behind, you know, Article 2, Section 4 and saying, here you go, Congress, you now find the impeachable offense. Well, Congress can impeach him on anything. They can claim they found, they, they can file the articles of, of impeachment. And here's the thing. They're going to have to do it before 2020 because chances are they're going to lose the House. If they lose the House, this goes away. Impeach and so if they don't pass the articles of impeachment before November of 2020, it ain't going to happen. Okay, or before January of 2021, it ain't going to happen. It, it, it'll never happen because the Democrats are going to lose the House. They've overplayed their hands. Um, the, the, the American people are absolutely just sickened by the Democrats' uh, complete derangement towards the president. And so what you're going to find is you're going to find there's this this is going to be an ultimately a failed Congress. So they've got to pass impeachment. Well, here's the thing. You can make up any charge. You can charge him with anything. All right. You can charge him with, you know, jaywalking or whatever. But remember, it has to be treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors. So if they overplay their hand and they file impeachment charges, they're sealing their fate. One, that's going to be a guarantee because it didn't work for the Republicans with Clinton even though Clinton was guilty of committing a crime, all right? Lost his license, had to pay a bunch of fines. He was guilty, all right? Um, it didn't play well. It smacked of, of rape uh, partisanship. Um, but it's dead in the Senate. And it's not because of partisanship. It's because there was no crime, okay? You can't accuse this president of a crime and remove him from office. So, again, impeachment... So that there, is impeachment going to go through, forward? If Nancy Pelosi is smart, she won't let it happen. Okay? It doesn't matter if the Democrats... The Democrats are going to go out there talking about impeachment, talking about impeachment, talking about impeachment, trying to stoke the fire, trying to keep things alive, but they're not going to file impeachment charges. So, again, uh, I think the press conference did more damage than good. Um, I think he, he openly um, creates a... Um, a very, very uh, weird precedent for prosecutors. Now um, you're guilty going in and I'm going to sit there and investigate you until I find the crime. Um, that's antithetical to the protection of the Constitution. Um, you are innocent until proven guilty. Um, the president is a uh, citizen. He still is afforded his rights as a citizen. Uh, in fact, he's known, one of the words for him is he is chief citizen. Um, so, you know, guys, we have to be really, really concerned about this whole entire coup attempt. What was it that made Democrats hate Donald Trump so much? 
um, they can say, well, you know, it, it, it was his cavalier attitude, attitude towards women. Um, it was uh, the way that he talked and, you know, all these things. No, no, no. Those are all red herrings. Those are all smokescreen. Because, again, Republicans didn't support him. And Republicans are also actively out there. Okay, we have what's called the deep state. The deep state is real. Okay, it's these elites that are in Washington that are... Um, that are actively trying to subvert this president. Why? And it's not because of his tweets. I'm telling you, it's not because I've heard worse conversations in the privacy. Okay. It's not because he's not presidential. All right. If anything, his success as president just in the last two, three years, two and a half years demonstrates that he is presidential. Okay. That he is someone that you can support. He's the one me over. All right. I didn't vote for the guy. All right. Um, I, all of the excuses, all the smoke screens that people are using, I actually felt. I thought that was real, but I was open to allowing him to win me over. I'm that way with any president that I disagree with. I was that way with Obama. I wanted Obama to be successful because I wanted the I wanted him to be successful in the fa- in the, in the, in the way that he was successful for this country and that this country would benefit. Unfortunately, he was successful in the opposite direction, exactly the way we feared. And that is why he will go down in history as one of our worst presidents ever. Trump will not. Trump will go down in the annals of of history as a great president. Uh, Poor communicator, great president. So why do they hate him? And I will tell you, and this is, take this to the bank. It has nothing to do with the external and has everything to do with the fact that he disproves their narrative that you have to be some elite, you know, academic, entrenched in the politics of the country, have experience uh, in politics, have, you know, gotten, you've, you've kissed the appropriate rings, you've gotten the approval of the party leadership, and now you can become president. Donald Trump... Threw all of that on the face. He didn't kiss anybody's rings. He funded his own campaign. All right. One, he proved that with the right kind of media strategy, you don't have to spend almost a billion dollars in fundraising. Okay. Um, he, he barely, I mean, he spent a fraction of what Hillary spent. And he won. Why? Because he had a smart strategy. All right. He didn't kiss anybody's rings. In fact, he insulted the Republican Party and still won. Okay. Um, he, he's his own man. Um, he has won and lost and won again, billions of dollars because he's a smart businessman. All right. And he has shown that you don't have to have all this experience in politics to be an effective president. And so I think it throws it on that narrative. We raise kids all the time telling them you someday you can become president. That's the, you know, that's the beauty of America is that anybody can become president. But what he exposed is that's not true. And if you try to become president and you're successful, then we are going to try to take you down. And, and I think that's what you see is this is the power centers of our government exposing themselves. And I think it's a good thing for us. And I think it's a good thing for America 
that this is being exposed in the way it is. I just hope that people see it that way. Uh, we need to get these people out of office. We need to clean the swamp. We need to drain the swamp. The swamp is starting to show its ugly head here in Texas. Um, you know, Republicans claiming to be uh, conservatives. Guys, a Democrat just signed a heartbeat bill in Louisiana for abortion. A Democrat just did that. Another Democrat just signed, just signed a veto wanting the state to disregard the electoral college and vote for the national and have its electors vote for the national winner. Okay, guys, that's a Democrats. How is it that in Texas, we can't even get a heartbeat bill out of committee? Why? Because we appointed a Democrat. See, that's one of the things about Texas is you don't, the, 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 the controlling party doesn't control all the all the house committees we actually it's it's tradition that we allow democrats to to be part of the process and so one of the committees that we put a democrat over was the health committee well guess what that's going to be the committee that any abortion bill comes out of and she 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 but then we didn't add it as an, an amendment to anything we didn't force a vote we didn't do anything okay we didn't fight this is texas we didn't fight. So there's a big, there's a big brouhaha right now in Texas. Um, grassroots conservative organizations are threatening primary challengers um, to Texas incumbents. And the Republican Texas House Speaker uh, is getting all uppity about that. And so he's going to have to address that. Um, if, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't have a primary challenger uh, by the end of all of this. He's, he's kind of acting like a petulant child uh, who just had his you know, uh, allowance taken away. So again, um, the electoral college and, um, is something that I want to talk about, but I'm, we're running out of time. So I'm going to save that for the next one. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Um, also we're going to look at the abortion bills again. Um, we'll look at that tomorrow again. Um, just because this is the new and improved, uh, dinner table, uh, podcast doesn't mean that I want to keep you more, you know, uh, than you know, you probably want to stay. We went a little longer than normal today. Uh, it's about 46 minutes, but again, guys, keep listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the change. Um, I hope it was educational, but I also hope it was entertaining. Um, I also hope that it was, um, uh, interesting. Uh, please, please, please forward this to your friends. Um, spread the word. Uh, we're trying to get something going here. We're trying to get something real going here. Um, so again, uh, thank you very much. God bless and uh, keep talking around the dinner table.